Welcome back to another episode of All Else Equal, a podcast connecting Notre Dame undergrads with faculty expertise. Today's question was submitted by Luis Elizondo Garcia, a Department of Arts and Letters sophomore. Also a masterful organizer. He is. Hey, Jason and Forrest. This is lovely Luis. And I would like to ask, what's up with modern monetary theory? Is this a viable plan for policy in the future? Thanks. This is a great question. I think we should talk to Rudy Bachman. So Rudy's a full professor in the economics department whose research focuses on macroeconomics, uncertainty, and firm behavior. He's also a prolific tweeter. I follow Rudy on Twitter. I wish I knew more German, though. Let's uh, let's call him up. Hey, Rudy, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate you joining us. Hey, yeah, it's a great pleasure to be here. So, Rudy, the U.S. government has a monopoly on the creation and issuance of U.S. dollars, right? Why don't we just print money and get more of the things that we want? I mean, we could do that, right? That's sort of, uh, that's... Uh, well, the, the conversation's done. <laughs> <laughs> In principle, yes, the United States can print money. I mean, that is the great privilege of, uh, of a sovereign that, uh, yeah, uh, is allowed to print uh, his or her own money. Right. Uh, some countries like uh, Germany uh, have given that up in Europe. Some countries have given that up voluntarily. But in principle, uh, indeed, the United States uh, could do that. In particular, the United States is uh, special compared to some other countries that can uh, print their own currency, say, I don't know, Argentina or something um, that, you know, everyone wants to likes our currency and wants to hold our currency or wants to trade, uh, uh, you know, in our currency or, you know, wants to hold assets in our currency. And uh, that has reasons because we have the deepest capital market in the world. Uh, We have good legal institutions still. Uh, And, uh, you know, that makes for a great privilege, the so-called exorbitant privilege uh, of the United States dollar. Uh, And therefore, yeah, we can we can use this privilege to a certain extent and we could print money and and buy a, a, a buy a lot of stuff with it but of course you know that's not the whole story okay so if uh, you know uh, i'm back home for thanksgiving my dad is a big trump supporter and i'm telling him look i heard that we can print money we can get whatever we want and he's still opposed to medicare for all or free college education like th- does he have any sort of valid uh, response well, I would say no, because no Trump guy can have a, resp- a valid response for anything, basically. No, I mean, you know, if you, if, uh, that's exactly right, right? If you, if you uh, uh, are of that belief that you, you get to spread this stuff and, uh, or, I mean, Trump, Trump likes to do it slightly differently. He likes debt, right? Like huge piles of debts, tremendous debt, right? <laughs> and so uh, why, why don't we issue debt and keep issuing debt, debt, debt? Right. Yes, we can buy a lot of stuff. And why shouldn't we finance um, finance uh, free college for all? Problem is, of course, then, you know, certain people that we might not want to go to college actually could go to college. Problem, right, for some of the Trumpistas. Um, but, yeah, in principle, it's a complete contradiction. You could do you could do anything. But of course, kidding aside, I mean, we all know what the problem is. Um, there is sort of a real side as a financial side to the economy, but there's also a real side to the economy. And what does that mean? It simply means that, you know, we need to produce this stuff. And when we produce certain stuff, we can't produce other stuff. And if the government swoops in, at least in an economy that's not necessarily underutilized, right, where a lot of people are don't have a job or an economy where a lot of people don't have a job, but really shouldn't go to work for, you know, 
hygienic or pandemic reasons in such a world, you know, if you start, if the government starts buying stuff, no matter how it's financed, whether it's debt financed um, uh, or, or you literally just print the money, you know, at some point you will just uh, get inflation and inflation has various pernicious effects. Uh, and uh, that's the ultimate problem. Right, so that is that's why we don't do uh, uh, such things. We have seen this many times in history, where you know inflations uh, happen if the fiscal authority just uh, prints money and 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 and, and spends things. Right? These tip, these tip, uh, things typically go together. It's not just printing money or issuing debt, but it's the stuff that the government does with, does with it that have led to massive hyperinflations in the in history, and that's why we don't do such things anymore. So I guess I want to take a, a little bit of a step back and just understand what are some of the main differences between MMT and, and using kind of the fiscal side of, of, uh, of the economy versus kind of more modern, I don't know if traditional is the right word, but monetary policy through the Fed. Well, actually, I mean, uh, so the, the difference isn't all that big. I mean, I've been somewhat of the opinion that MMT is basically a crude a crude uh, sort of um, salon uh, type of uh, fiscal theory of the price level, right? The fiscal theory of the price level basically says exactly that. It basically says that it's the government budget constraint that ultimately determines the price level, okay? And uh, to me, that's uh, sort of that, so we have that that idea, that, that point we have in uh, in, in, in modern macroeconomics as well, right? That, but of course, modern macroeconomics, I think, is a bit more sophisticated because then it's all about, you know, m fiscal monetary interaction, you know, does the, does the monetary authority accommodate certain things that the fiscal authority wants to do or not? And, you know, uh, what are the equilibria in that game, basically, between the monetary policy authority and the fiscal authority? But that base, so, I mean, that sort of the basic idea of MMT, namely that a sovereign... Uh, can print money in particular, as I said, a sovereign like the United States and buy stuff. Um, and, the, um, uh, and the idea that the government budget constraints matters for the price level and the slash inflation, I think that's not so crazy. I mean, they, they always say this about the money, that they have this sort of as a, as a privileged wisdom, but I think this is fairly mainstream macroeconomic stuff. So to me, this doesn't come as a surprise. And so I don't know what we can really learn sort of from, uh, uh, from, um, uh, um, from MMT. I guess perhaps the one thing that is really a little bit different is, um, is the following. I think, I mean, one way of reading MMT, if you want to read it in a, in a somewhat beneficial way is to, or, or a benign way is basically saying, or generous way, I think that's the right word, the, uh, a generous way is basically the assignment of policy tools to policy goals is slightly different in MMT, right? So in traditional uh, mainstream uh, stabilization policy, the way we think about it, it's we have the monetary authority that kind of takes care of, of inflation and, um, and perhaps a little bit of employment, but uh, the, the sort of the employment stuff, distributional issues, um, that's basically, uh, and public goods provision that uh, sort of sits with the fiscal authority, right? And uh, um, MMT seems to be sort of, sort of turning things on its head in some sense, basically saying it's the fiscal authority that should, uh, that should fix the price level and um, it, should do, it should just spend until, you know, um, 
we see inflation uh, rising, right? That's sort of the the, the crude idea, I guess, of, of MMT. Um, of course, it's not so clear, you know, that you can do this with full employment, that, that you can also do this, in other words, that you get uh, 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 to full employment before the inflation stuff is ri arises. That's sort of the, the issue, sort of the supply side of this e economy, I think, is a bit, or the supply side view of the of the MNT crowd is a bit uh, is a bit weird because they you know they don't seem to understand frictions they they think basically that inflation will only set in you know when we until the last guy is employed right but that's of course we know all kinds of frictions you know people are not qualified for certain jobs so in other words full employment or you know how much underutilized resources start way earlier than you know close to zero unemployment and 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 uh, yeah we I mean we know that and then if, if, but if, if you grant that, so if an MIT guy, MMT guy says, yeah, okay, we, we grant that, there's qualification issues, there's search frictions, all kinds of human capital, structural issues, you know, um, then basically we are back into a simple sort of almost Nairu type of framework where, you know, where there's a natural rate. Uh, below which we can't of unemployment below which we can't go without an inflation and then basically all that's left from the framework is to say well it should be the fiscal authority rather than the monetary policy authority uh, doing it and um, I guess then sort of and then the question is you know why do we the mainstream must prefer the monetary authority uh, um, uh, doing this um, uh, well the answer is probably because we want not to politicize it too much, right? We kind of want to have this technocratic authority that takes care of the price level, uh, has a very fairly limited uh, 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 mandate, and you know we we just worry about the politicians that uh, that are sort of elected for certain periods of time might actually forget a little bit about this inflation thing, might uh, overemphasize the employment target, and and uh, and sort of don't get that trade-off right. That may or may not be true. The his history seems to suggest that, you know, something like this has happened. Um, but I think that's then ultimately a, kind of a more boring empirical question, what the right assignment of policy instruments to, to tools is basically. And yeah. So what I'm hearing really is the goal, the end goal of both um, monetary policy and MMT theory are virtually the same. And the way that the levers are being pulled, and now correct me if I'm wrong here, is really that the fiscal authority has their own, you know, fiscal goals that they want to do. They run some maybe budget deficit. And in order to fund that, they in some capacity have maybe the Federal Reserve just just buy their money, right? Or buy, I, I should say, the the, the debt or, so, or something to that um to that effect or on the kind of vice versa, then the federal reserve in order to get to their kind of end goal of, you know, uh, maximum on a maximum employment and, um, and stable prices, what they're doing is selling debt out kind of to the general public in some way to be able to fund that deficit gap. Is, is that kind of how, no, I think how it's, should we think of it? I think it's more a little bit of a different emphasis who should be the leader on this, right? Is it sort of the monetary policy policy that is supposed to do this? Or should we give stabilization policy always uh, to the sort of the fiscal authority rather than the fiscal authority being responsible for, you know, uh, uh, 
other things like just the general public good provision or um, uh, taking care of uh, of uh, distributional issues or something like that, right? So th I think that it's just a, a bigger emphasis on the fiscal authority doing things rather than the monetary policy authority. So in other words, the MMT crowd sort of has the monetary policy kind of essentially be a department of, uh, uh, of the treasury and uh, kind of follow the lead of the treasury uh, versus, you know, the traditional crowd is, is worried about political economy issues. Um, the treasury sometimes going crazy and therefore we want to have a, this technocratic institution, at least in normal times, being responsible for a stabilization policy. I guess if, if I mean, that's one way of sort of reading, of reading that conflict. I mean, the problem with MMT has always been that at least I find it obscure and uh, not very well written and sort of not clear exactly what this is about. Whenever you say something, whenever a, a mainstream guy like me claims what they said, they will always say, no, but that's not how we meant it really. That's sort of the typical <laughs> MMT, so it's very difficult. It's a bit like nailing a putting to the wall, uh, and uh, um, you know, it's, so that that's why what makes these debates often frustrating. But I don't think there's really thing, anything new. I mean, the other the other sort of more uh, parochial read of MMT is basically just you know a philosophy. We want the government to be bigger. You know, which is which is not really economic. I mean, it's sort of that's my impression. So that's sort of the again, sort of the 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 layman or the the Twitter crowd view of MMT. At the end of the day, I don't think there's any sophisticated economic theory behind it. It's simply just saying, yeah, we like uh, we like what AOC like. Namely, we want the government be to to be bigger. And frankly, that's a, a perfectly valid, um, you know, uh, social social policy goal. I mean, there's nothing nothing wrong with it. Economics has very little to say. I mean, we can, as economists, we can say, yeah, if you make the government as big, and then we can say, okay, you know what the consequences are potentially, you know, inflation, distortions, if you tax finance it, but even if you debt finance it, eventually, if you, at some point, you will have, pr presumably have to raise taxes, um, uh, unless you are in this very, uh, uh, peculiar condition we are in right now, right? Where if sort of uh, your interest rate never goes uh, above your, uh, your growth rate, then you kind of always will kind of outgrow things and you may never raise taxes. So, but, but at the end of the day, it's those things that we economists can point out, but we, 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 I, I can't tell how big the United States government should be. Voters should do that, right? And the political party that, that then win these elections should do this. And, you know, if, if that's all this is really is about, um, then, uh, you know, that's a perfectly valid uh, political goal uh, or legitimate p uh, political goal where people might uh, disagree with how big the government should be. But then I don't think, I don't, there's no new economics here, right? That's my point. There's nothing, there's nothing new or exciting uh, from an economic point of view. It's just that people want to get, want to have a bigger government. And that's totally fine. So you mentioned that we're in a peculiar situation right now. I was hoping to ask you just kind of take, to take a step back and ask a couple basic questions. The first basic question I have is, does the U.S. government have to balance their budget? And then the second one is, like, what's the difference between how people think about, like, this idea of printing money versus, like, what we do now to fund spending that we don't recover with tax revenue? Well, very little, actually, right now, right? Because uh, money... Uh, printing money, I mean, or printing debt right now is pretty much the same thing because 
these debt instruments, they hardly carry an interest, uh, interest, right? And so there's a, still a small difference because money, you can actually carry out transactions. But, you know, the, the difference is, is, is tiny. I mean, it's basically what we are doing is that the Treasury issues these debt, the Federal, Federal Reserve buys it, and that's basically like money printing. So right now there's no, not much difference. This is different in a world where, you know, the Treasury actually has to pay interest, right? So then and money doesn't pay interest. So then that's sort of a, a different world. But we are, uh, we are, we are not in that, in that situation right now. So, okay, should the United States uh, um, government uh, balance their budget? Well, it depends, as always, in economics, right? So uh, right now, absolutely not, right? We are in the middle of an economic crisis. And, I mean, no one, I think, not even the biggest fiscal hawk uh, would suggest that right now is a, is a good time to balance the budget. Uh, that's not what you want to do. So the question is, you know, when should you start uh, balancing your budget? And uh, are you uh, worried at some point? That, so as long as interest rates, the interest rates on these government bonds, which are essentially zero, you know, are below the, uh, the sort of an average growth rate, nominal growth rate, that's important, you know, between, I don't know, which is, just always uh, say 2%, you know, as long as we don't have these nominal interest rates go above that, the United States can always never actually uh, sort of, they always sort of pay back individually the, the individual bonds, but never sort of the, the, the debt in the aggregate. And it's totally fine. You can, in principle, uh, uh, go on like this forever. Um, that's the magic in some sense of an, yeah, to use a technical term of an infinitely lived agent, right? The problem, the problem with us, uh, uh, sort of normal people, is that uh, we have a cap T, right? We, our life is at some point comes to an end. And if we don't want to leave our children, you know, with, with debt, with most of us probably don't, uh, you know, we, we, we have to settle. We have to at some point pay everything back. Okay. Well, I was thinking that like this was a benefit and not a cost. Uh, like, well, we can leave our a, children dead. <laughs> it's a fact. It's just a fact. Okay, we 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 are a finite lift agents. Okay, and at some point, you know, there's a cap T where we should settle things. But the United States government or any government really isn't like that. There's no no. There's just no end, no def, definitive end inside, and so and so that changes a lot. That changes budget constraints just uh, quite a bit. Okay, people, but it's really that it's just the mechanics of that budget constraint that it's so that you can kind of keep going with this game and that as long as interest rates are not too high, that you can kind of always outgrow uh, any given debt that you might have. So, so what question, is the, I, I was going to ask, what, what then what is kind of like the optimal level? Is there, is there an optimal level? Is there a target maybe debt to GDP ratio? This is a number that's often cited um, by fiscal think tanks. Uh, is there something that we should be shooting for? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, it depends on how, you know, how quickly at some point people will ask for these interest rates because they are for these higher interest rates, right? Um, until, um, you know, the sort of until the, the normal interest rates crosses the, uh, the, the nominal growth rate again. Um, and uh, e eventually that's going to happen because people will worry about, about the United States uh, fiscal uh, uh, capacity, um, and that's sort of the big, the big open question, which but no one really knows at some point, right? I mean, is we can't possibly predict what the 
financial markets will do. There, there's some pointers we can think about, right? So the United States is indeed, we talked about that, is, uh, has this exorbitant privilege with this big capital market. So whatever I say here is certainly not true for Argentina or similar countries, right? There, you know, people will quickly get nervous when interest rates rise um, or when the debt rise and will de- uh, command higher interest rates. The good, the, the good thing in some sense for the United States is, or the bad, some fiscal hawks might say the bad thing is, um, so my question is always, where are the international investors going to go, right? So where are they going to put their money? Are they going to give them to China? Are they going to give it to Russia? There's just no alternative in the world right now. And the United States is, given its size, the only credible producer of relatively good, high quality, highly liquid relatively safe assets. That's the the United States government is the only entity to do that. A little bit Germany, some uh, some countries in, uh, I mean, in Europe, uh, Japan potentially, uh, the European Union could step in, but at the end of the day, there's just not that many providers of, of that of that thing that evidently a lot of people want to have in the in the world, right? That I mean, the reason why these interest rates can be so low is because people are crazy about holding, uh, you know, dollar-denominated assets. That's just a fact. And I, I just don't see that go- that part. I don't see go go, go away. Okay, so um, so what is so so? The, and then I guess there is sort of um, um, then the question is it, it, who. Is there any other mechanism in the world where the United States could lose that privilege? As long as it doesn't lose this privilege, the United States has uh, many, uh, has not unlimited, but has many resources uh, that they can borrow available to them, okay? Now, the, so what else could it be? Could it be technological developments? Like sort of, in other words, could, it, could we live in a world where no currency, no sort of particular financial market like the United States will be the sort of the, the, the store of, of, of safe assets, but it's much more uh, sort of privatized, right? Think, uh, in other words, think private currencies in some sense, right? Is that sort of, is that a credible development where, you know, a basket of, of private currencies, privately issued currencies are considered so safe that it's these currencies that will gain the exorbitant privilege eventually, right? Um, I'm skeptical, honestly. I just don't see that, you know, people are they going to trust Mark Zuckerberg to produce this? I, I just don't know how this is going to work. But some people worry about that, uh, that we will see technological developments that will just take away the natural monopoly of the United States government to produce these safe assets. An interesting development, I think at this point, it's pure speculation. But, uh, you know, if you want to worry about it, I think that's probably the best the most important reason why you might want to worry about is these technological developments in our in how we pay and how we store uh, value uh, going forward. So if I could shift gears just a little bit towards or back towards kind of the role of the fiscal authority versus the role of the monetary authority. Um, you know, the, the Fed is consistently under, uh, under hit, uh, undershot its, Two percent inflation target, or you know, since the Great Recession, and I was just sort of thinking: Do you think there's more of a role for either the fiscal authority to try and take some sort of action in generating slightly more inflation, or the Fed to the Fed to kind of look more like the fiscal authority and do things like some of these like helicopter drop proposals to actually generate slightly more inflation under certain situations? I mean, uh, I mean, there's a big 
question in some sense whether the Fed can even do that, right? So, I mean, the Fed has been trying to do a lot of things. It's it's not clear to me that the Fed really can do the, uh, all a, that. A much. legal ability, right? A legal ability, sure. Right. I mean, the Fed, the, the Fed can't... Uh, um, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of a big... Um, I'm a sort of a big believer in the idea that sort of the Fed should be sort of a, because it's a technocratic, um, not elected uh, crowd that makes a decision that should be sort of responsible for kind of the boring stuff and the small stuff. And, you know, if we really want to generate inflation, sort of if, if, if sort of we need a sort of a big, a big uh, uh, regime change somehow, um, then uh, uh, it should be uh, fiscal policy. In other words, democratically elected people that are responsible for their actions and that we can vote out of office uh, if, 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 if they fail it. So I'm, 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 I, I don't necessarily, um, so I, I, I think that's not a, a terrible idea. And in some sense, it kind of worked. If I remember, I mean, the, 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 the Trump tax cut actually led to at least higher nominal, the nominal interest rates in the United States were much higher, for example, uh, pre-corona, of course, uh, um, than they were in Europe, okay? So the profligacy of the United States government did have something. And I, I have to look, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I want to say that inflation was kind of creeping up to, uh, as well. It wasn't, it wasn't as low as it was in Europe. So I, I don't think that the Fed, yeah, they may have undershot it, but I, I, I sort of once we were kind of in a normal booming economy, um, sort of normal monetary and fiscal policy kind of worked. And it's not that we were terribly far away. I think the ECB has a much bigger problem um, doing that, uh, mainly because there's much more sort of austere governments that just don't want to spend. But in some sense, Trump uh, gave us a little bit of an of an MMT experiment already with his, uh, you know, unfunded tax cut. In some sense, that was a pretty, pretty, you know, um, pretty uh, 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 st- good stimulus, even in a in a in an already somewhat booming economy. And um, it kind of normal economics seemed to have worked. Uh, now you can say that was too much. I mean, the, some would say Paul Krugman, of all people, yeah. right, would, <laughs> would say that that was already too much because we kind of didn't need that stimulus. And it was certainly distributionally, we can argue distributionally probably problematic. Um, but, you know, it sort of, it did what it was supposed to do. I mean, and it, it, it raised interest rates, you know, and... Um, um, I mean, when, just to give you an anecdote, when I, I just refinanced my mortgage, you know, and when I, uh, you know, and I mean, for, for us, I got a, for us ridiculously low interest rates. But my German uh, friends, they laugh at me when I, when I talk about mortgage rates uh, still above two percent. That's just, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's totally ridiculous for them that you would pay so much, so much interest <laughs> rates. So, um, um, yeah. So, in other words, uh, the, the sort of normal economics. Um, has worked. And I mean, now we are in sort of Corona, very different time, very different uh, situation. Um, but uh, I don't think there's any reason to believe that, you know, once the, the normal gears of the, of the economy work again, that, you know, these relationship where if the government spends more money, uh, we will eventually see interest rates rise. And, uh, and, and that will automatically then, you know, put a, a, an upper bound on how much you want to keep doing that because interest rates will just rise too much and it will just become too expensive for the United States to keep borrowing. So I got one last question for you. 
Um, Forrest and I were kind of talking about this and we wanted to get your take. What is maybe one thing the U.S. can learn from German fiscal policy and kind of vice versa? I think the Germans could uh, learn or should have learned again with Corona. It's all kind of different. I think they did. They now did a good job, uh, I would say, uh, in in actually in, in stimulating the economy or, or not. It's not really stimulating, but providing insurance, social insurance, and therefore put, pump a lot, a lot of money uh, into the into the into the economy. And so uh, that was a good thing the Germans did. Um, I wish prior to that, they would have been a bit more relaxed uh, about um, about their government budget constraint. Uh, a lot of people argue, I know in Germany, only because we were so restrained, could we now actually open up the, 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 the purse, right? Do you believe that? But, uh, no, I don't believe that. I mean, uh, the, the, the trajectory of the government debt was actually shrinking and was sort of a steady state with the long one the effective long-run target would have been like, I don't know, 15% debt-to-GDP ratio. So very low, extremely low number. So the German government uh, had too much austerity. I mean, uh, whether I would have done the numbers, whether they should have done what Trump did, that's a different story. But the, the general idea about being relaxed a little bit more about government debt uh, would have uh, would have behooved uh, Germany before. Again, they, they reacted well in the crisis, but uh, uh, before that and going forward, uh, sort of more long-term fiscal policy, I, I wish, uh, because Germany is not, not so dissimilar. It's kind of a smaller version of the U.S., right? It's kind of, it's, it produces extremely highly liquid, highly sought after uh, safe assets. So it has a little bit of an exorbitant privilege. It doesn't quite print its own currency, but de facto it's kind of the, in that sense, the, the, the hegemon in Europe. And so the euro is in some sense, uh, very related to the German government debt. So, so in that sense, it has a little bit of an exorbitant privilege, and I think it should have used this for good, for social good. Um, okay, though, that's, uh, that's sort of Germany from the United States. Um, the other way, well, I mean, sort of the, but this is more, I mean, for example, we have a, we have a terrible uh, unemployment insurance system administration to go sort of into the weeds of something, right? I mean, the, the way this is sometimes handled in the States, you know, that, you know, some States, I mean, when we had to, I mean, the, the, the whole sort of technical issue, the way we do things, right? Sending checks, who does that, right? In the, I mean, in the, in the, in the <laughs> oh, yeah. 21st century, this is so so medieval. I mean, that's the only thing we could do to, to help people. I never sending, thought about that though. Sending well, them who checks. else is it going to see who I signed mean, my it, check? It's, it's, yeah. it's like totally ridiculous, right? If you think about it, same with, with unemployment insurance, right? I mean, um, you know, we have it in the States. Uh, some States have completely atrophied the, the administration there, right? Uh, because they don't want un sort of out of spite, right? Many red states out of state of spite, they don't want to help the unemployed because they think they are the undermentioned or something like that, right? Um, and so that's just terrible, right? And sort of the state capacity of, of the German government uh, is just so much better. Um, I mean, in many dimensions, like if you think about public health administration, right? Unemployment insurance administration. And we have really seen in the United States uh, I mean, at the end of the day, these crude measures helped, but they they were just too crude. And I think you could have you could have helped people much better. The United States actually did learn, I think, with the with the, the PPP program where they helped sort of businesses to stay afloat. That's kind of a new thing, right? In the tradition in, in the U.S. is um, let's help people, but not necessarily firms. 
And I think this is a sort of for normal recessions is that that's a justifiable approach, right? In this recession, however, I think you kind of wanted to stabilize jobs, right? Uh, you don't want, didn't want people to send an unemployment and the jobs back on. Um, so you wanted to help businesses as well. I think that that's something that that philosophy uh, in principle, that that's a very German philosophy to not, not just help people, but actually stabilize jobs. I think that was a, that was a good thing. But in general, sort of this, uh, the lack of state capacity that we have in so many dimensions in the United States, be that public health administration, be that unemployment insurance uh, administration, right? It's just dependent on, on in which state you happen to live in, whether you got your $600 yeah. or something uh, or not, right? And, and how fast you got it. And that just shouldn't be the case. That just, you know, that should be easy, simple. <laughs> this should be directly in your checking account, no checks. I mean, this is just so medieval in some sense, this whole, the whole infrastructure to, 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 to help, to help with, uh, you know, uh, with transfers to the people um, that, that we should actually modernize this uh, to, European, to European standards. Awesome. That's a great answer. Yeah. So hopefully someone in, on the fiscal side is listening to our podcast. Yeah, <laughs> future leaders. All right, ready? Thank Thanks you so, so much. much. Okay, yeah. Thanks to you guys. All right. So when I look at the current fiscal policy in the United States designed to provide fiscal relief and stimulus, it sure looks like Congress stole a play out of MMT's playbook. That's kind of true. It's important to know that different philosophies can lead to similar actions, though. So the bursts of spending we did in early 2020 would have been approved by the MMT crowd, but you can see the differences in philosophies in the current stalled fiscal relief talks. The so Republicans are worried about spending too much because of impacts on the deficit, which MMT supporters would say is the completely wrong way to look at the problem. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that politicians still cling to this idea that the U.S. needs to balance its budget or even reduce its deficit. Like most heterodox or untraditional ideas, MMT clings to a key insight not shared by the general public, namely that there's no hard set rule that a government that prints its own currency needs to balance its budget. It has to be a political thing more than anything else. There's nothing really modern about this idea. Economists have known this for a long time. What is important is that we use this idea carefully though. So just because a government doesn't necessarily have to balance its budget doesn't mean we can start paying for whatever social programs we want. I'm looking at you, the political left. <laughs> Uh, so like Rudy said, there are real resources constraints that we want to think about. So we could focus on, yes, the government can step in and pick up slack and resources like labor being underutilized, but this can definitely be overdone. And we also should be really, really careful about what we're spending money on or focusing our resources on. Too often discussions about the deficit get mired down in big numbers and we lose sight of the fact that we should care about what the government is actually spending money on. There's no point in spending a bunch of money building bridges to nowhere, even if that doesn't cause inflation. Well, that does it for another episode of All Else Equal. As always, feel free to suggest an episode topic by emailing us, allelseequalpodcast at gmail.com.